Episode two, how to work when you can't work happier. Work happier. That's the founding vision of Front, the company I work for, the company that produces this podcast. In a nutshell, the story goes that our founders saw that their parents weren't all that happy at work and they wanted to find a way to help people work happier. It's a good vision and a good motto. After all, who doesn't want to be happier at work? I sure do. And I'd like to think that we help our customers do just that. We try to solve problems that people complain about at work, like getting too many emails or having to use busted work applications. The salesperson in me really just wants to launch into a pitch right here. But the hard truth is that it's not always crappy email software or fragmented workflows that are making people unhappy at work. Sometimes people are just unhappy. Sometimes they should be unhappy. Last year, Ahmad Aubrey, a 25-year-old black man, was killed while he's out jogging. Riona Taylor was shot to death in her own bed. George Floyd was murdered in broad daylight by a Minneapolis police officer. Just this past March, six Asian women were shot in Atlanta. A Chinese-American woman was set on fire in Brooklyn. An 84-year-old immigrant from Thailand was killed while he was going for a walk. It seems like every other day we wake up to another headline in the news of another act of violence or hate crimes against members of the Black or Asian-American communities. How are you supposed to work happier when your community is under assault? Should you even try? I don't have any answers here. I'm LB Harvey, and in this episode of Heart of Business, we're gonna hear stories from Black and Asian members of our team about what it's like to go to work the day after a hate crime. We'll learn some strategies for mental health and emotional health, and some best practices for companies and HR teams who wanna help their employees. The episode is the brainchild of Johnny Parker. Here he is with the story. My name is Johnny Parker. I'm a content marketing manager at Front. I joined about four months ago. And before joining, I actually was able to, to check out the Work Happier motto. And um, not going to lie, it brought me in, um, you know, just reading our, uh, our founder and CEO uh, story on working happier. Uh, it inspired me and motivated me to, you know, to, to push the envelope and actually apply. And, you know, here I am, thankfully. I'm Helena. I'm the program manager on the support team. I am a first-generation immigrant from China. I spent most of my childhood up to recent years um, in a pocket of LA that has a large Asian-American community, so I've always been very close to my roots. I speak Chinese at home. Um, I worked for a few years for a Chinese tech company. My name is Danny Kim. I'm an account executive here at Fronts. Been with the company for a little bit over a year. I grew up in an Asian American family, um, was raised by a pair of immigrants from South Korea. Uh, my parents immigrated to San Francisco in the 80s. You know, like growing up, um, especially like since I'm, I'm a huge fan of, you know, watching movies, like listening to music, and I would just look into like American media and I wouldn't see an accurate representation or like somebody to like essentially look up to whether it's it was a music artist or a sports athlete and at least the silver lining nowadays is now there's a lot more representation at least in the aapi um demographic but we still have a long way to go as it pertains to aapi i think really the boiling point for it at least in my experience came right around march when really that whole movement of stop asian hate happened when the acts of um, violence happened in Atlanta and even here in the Bay Area where I grew up in. And I just find that incredibly shocking and just saddening that um, 
growing up in such a culturally and racially diverse place like the Bay Area, I wouldn't expect something like this to happen in a million years. And it really made me just like dig deep and really think about like my own identity, going back to even like my own childhood and just like thinking to myself, um, was I just burying my head in the sand the entire time to avoid like what was clearly in front of me? You know, it's been a buildup of more violence, more hate of all kinds, not just against Asian Americans. We had, you know, George Floyd and Black Lives Matter and, you know, even all the deaths um, around just COVID and all the trauma and divisiveness. Um, So I think just all of that escalating. And I, I definitely felt a lot of anger in the past year, especially as the crimes were first started to happen. Um, There were many layers in it for me having it almost take a month for mainstream news outlets to even acknowledge it was you know infuriating to me um yeah and i just also felt really helpless it kept happening i became afraid to leave the house i'm still very alert wherever i go i carry pepper spray you know there's never a moment when i'm outside of my home that i'm not you know prepared for something bad to happen go back uh to the atlanta shooting so just to dive into detail a little bit. So that was a work day. That was on a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Did you, I mean, to, to put it bluntly, did you even feel like working that day? I, I feel like it's been a running theme in the past year, this dichotomy of needing to do my job as I always did while processing and dealing with the violence that's happening in my own community um, and to my community. And, you know, it's, it, especially now that we, been working from home, there are no boundaries to what is work, what is outside of work, what is personal. Um, So, you know, when my own family, my friends were all talking about these things, and then, you know, it's not, it's not very practical to be able to just turn that off and go to work and, you know, act like nothing is wrong. So all these things that I'm very deeply impacted by on a personal level, yet I felt also this obligation to perform a job that was completely unrelated. Um, so I, I felt really bad that as the world was burning around me, I'm sitting here like writing technical content about, you know, how to automate email responses. Like it just didn't feel right doing that. But um, I, that's that's still what I had to do. So I did it, but I really hated it. It was a really hard time for me to do that. It was probably one of the hardest days of my life. The people that were attacked and unfortunately the, were the victims like that could have happen to somebody else in my family it's hard to just like turn on a switch and go back to work i mean because you can't help but think about that and you just can't you just can't help but like notice especially like in this day and age when we have access to social media and we're glued to our phones and to the internet and it just pops up everywhere and everybody seems to have an opinion on it as well too so um it does get very distracting and honestly on that day i just couldn't work and i even told my manager at the time Hey, I, this is, I'm not feeling like good about this. If frankly, like I had a lot of mixed feelings about it. I was sad and I was also enraged. So I just couldn't do it that day. Can we work happier when things like this are happening early in the morning, right before work, right before hopping onto an all hands meeting? I know a lot of folks at this, at this co- company and even in other companies weren't able to work on the day that, um, George Floyd tragically left all of us. And, you know, sometimes the best thing to do, like to work happier is just not to work at the time, just to take a step back and just like clear your head, 
get educated on the topic and, you know, talk to your friends, talk to your family, um, especially those who are distressed by those events and let them know like, hey, like, I'm here to listen. I'm here to support you. Um, Because at the end of the day, it's, I mean, there's some things that are just, just much bigger and like you have to understand and acknowledge those. And as much as we want to be productive in our work days, something like this, like it's challenging to just try to like work through it without even thinking about it in the back of your mind. Looking at it that way for me at this current time would be like, there's an expectation to always be happier and happier and happier and happier. Um, And that's, that just makes me really, really sad (laughs) to to have to always strive for something like that. Um, during a time like this. So giving myself um, and having the company be supportive of the fact that I'm not going to always be happy and that's okay. And in fact, you shouldn't be happy and we don't, we we don't need you or want you to be happy all the time means a lot to me. Um, I can work in the way that I feel is appropriate to me when the time is right for me to be able to pursue this work happier kind of, you know, vision, I will be more than happy to get back to that. But right now it's difficult just to do my work. So I'm not going to expect myself to work happier and happier while doing this work um, because it's, it's really hard. Everyone has different ways of like going about it too. But I think the most important thing is people need to know how you feel. Because nobody knows how you feel. Your managers doesn't know. Your coworkers don't know. They don't understand like what you're going through with, especially with what's happening right now. You know, what's the responsibility of a company, uh, specifically, you know, to its Asian American employees um, in 2021, uh, given all the context that's going on? I think companies should still like let people like express themselves and just let them let let everyone know like, hey, this is how I feel. This is why I'm not like in the right headspace. And this is why I just can't be productive today. I think that the responsibility that a company has is one, taking a public stand on these types of issues to follow that up, making space internally to support us and to allow us to gather and talk about these things. And for leaders, especially to voice openly voice their opinions about, you know, that they're that they're supportive of these kinds of initiatives for me to see the difference between how we're handling it versus another another company that might be like it's not work related we're not talking about it at all don't bring it up um work is work and it, it yeah it makes me grateful that i'm able to be at a company where we do have that i definitely think there's a lot more work that we can do i hope i wish that we could be a leader in the space and not just like, you know, encouraging and supporting, but, you know, actually taking a lot of action to be able to, to show the world, like, this is how a company supports their employees. This is how we stand up for what's right. Um, So hopefully we can do more. I want to thank you so much for telling your story, um, giving us a peek, you know, of what it looks like um, to be in your shoes a little bit. I know it's not easy to talk about that. So uh, thank you. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. I didn't mention this before, but I'm an African-American man. I joined our employee research group, Black at Front, and I had a conversation with the group about what it's like to work happier for African-Americans. You'll hear the voices of Anna Pickney and Omar Jones. It's hard for me just to, to show up and to function, but not only at work, but in general. 
Um, there's hard days. There's moments where I have to just step away or not look at any type of media at all, whether it be social media or just the news. Um, there were days like I literally just stepped away and cried like from work, I just like literally closed my laptop, cried and then came back to work. Um, and it's difficult. It's not it's not an easy process. So I don't think it's working happier at that point. It's just almost like maintaining. That's kind of my initial raw reaction yeah. to that question. You know, when I was at LinkedIn, right, and the protests were going on in Chicago and you could hear the cannons outside my door, right? Like I can hear the marches and the, the police can is going off, right? And it's like, you know, how do you, you know, get up the next day and work, right? And this was, this was when, you know, it was really bad. And, you know, one of the things that a lot of the managers and leadership did is they were basically reaching out to everyone, right? To make sure they were okay, right? Like, are you good? If you need to take time off, take time off. But you're still that person. So I just feel like as a, as a black person, you're, you learn to compartmentalize your feelings and you learn to not necessarily like cold switch how we used to do back in the day, but I think it's like, you can't bring your whole self to work anymore. Cause you, you know what I mean? One it's burdening you, but then two, you don't want to burden other people with how you feel. Right. And then you don't know if it's that kind of environment for you to express yourself in that way, right? I think there's a, a there's a, a Japanese saying that speaks to this like like for real, for real, where they're like, we all have three faces. We have one, we show our family and friends. We have another one, we show the world, and then the last only we can see, right? That we only know that face. So I think that's a lot of the struggles with being black in in corporate America and just in general trying to navigate it. So I remember, like, even I've seen the progression in corporate America. It's like, are we there yet? No, but I've seen the progress because prior to this, like you were just told to shut up and do your job, right? Like you knew your job was on the line if you popped off or even said something once, right? About how you felt or being black, like no one cared. It was like, you're lucky to be here. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, we have two black people. It's like, no, those two black people are lucky to be here, that they are actually getting a shot and an opportunity. So I've seen it from that side, but I've also seen the progress where I think companies are trying. I don't, I feel like they're trying, but I don't think they understand what trying hard enough means, right? I think it's like, we'll hit these benchmarks and then we go. The, the company that we came from was Outcome Health, which no longer exists, but the CEO and the president were both uh, Indian American and they only wanted Indian American in, in executive roles and leadership roles. And when I tell you, they found these people and not like they lowered the bar to get these people through the door, right? Like they went out and found them because that's what the, the executive decision was. Like that's what they wanted, right? So they stacked the board with all Indian executives, like all leadership roles, right? So I've seen it in action. Like if you want diversity, like it's not that hard, but I do think it starts within leadership because once they stacked all the people in leadership with Indian executives, you have more Indians wanting to come work for the company now. Creating a diverse workforce is, the, is one of the first steps to making the people around you feel inclusive. When things like this are happening, 
um, what do you think Front can do to allow us to work happier? That's difficult, right? The allyship is always difficult because it's always based on um, the individual experience. My experience is going to be different from your experience and Omar's experience. Um, and I might be more sensitive or less sensitive to certain things. And so growing up, especially in South Carolina and then kind of navigating my way all the way here and working at Front, um, startup world is always trying to be super inclusive. Um, that's, you can just tell like a lot of companies are doing it and they're trying to quickly come out and quickly create and quickly help and quickly do all of these things. While it's great um, to have that initiative, um, have that thought process even because yeah, years ago that wasn't the case. Um, it's still difficult to, to kind of like really focus on something and really see it through. Um, I think a lot of companies are trying to do things so fast and trying to be woke or trying to be super inclusive that sometimes they're kind of either falling short because maybe they don't have the resources, the manpower or the state sustainability to keep up that same um, momentum. Um, so I think it's like, honestly, I think if you're gonna do something, like just do it and see it all the way through. You can't do everything, not every company is going to do everything. Companies aren't, you know, charged with kind of removing racism from the world or anything like that. Saving Black America. <laughs> exactly. But what they can do is they can work on their employees and they can put in policies and, and measures to make sure that people are treated fairly. I think that's a, a start and it goes beyond just this is our code of conduct. It, 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 goes, it goes to like every manager kind of enforcing that um, in a, in a way, um, now, whether that enforcement, it, you know, it probably can vary at different levels, but for example, sexual harassment is usually taking very, very serious. I mean, I've seen like, not particularly at front, but like, I've seen other companies like literally fire, like almost everybody involved. They're like, nope, we're not dealing with it at all. It's like 0% like tolerated at all. Um, and I don't think companies have gotten to that point yet where they're enforcing it to that level. But I also think that that's a start. That is something that they can control. If you are per, like um, behaving outside of our code of conduct and it's not acceptable to an employee, then you're no longer following our rules and guidelines to be at this company. Um, just like sexual harassment is very, very serious. Um, and people take it very, very serious because there's like um, termination that can happen. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, that would be just a basic step, even aside from the programs and, you know, the different things. Like if, if it comes top down, it'll, it'll just be noticed. We need to start by holding ourselves accountable. We are the company that says we want people to work happier. So I talked to our head of people, Ash Alexander, to find out what Front is actually doing about this problem. My name is Ashley Alexander. I'm super happy to be chatting with you. Um, I'm the head of people here at Front's. Um, I oversee HR, recruiting, workplace experience, diversity, inclusion, um, belonging, of course. Uh, so all anything that uh, has to do with our employees and their engagement and happiness is in my purview. I love that. And one thing you just touched on, uh, people team. Um, you know, a lot of people know that as human resources, our HR. Um, can you go a little bit deeper into that difference? I know that's just kind of just changed with startups. I was curious to know what, you know, what that means. HR, uh, I see it as a sub 
function of the broader group of employees who are here to remove obstacles for the rest of the employees at the company. Uh, so HR, you can think of it more as like the compliance side, the operational side of the house, onboarding and offboarding, these kinds of things. But then you bring in things like employee experience, like communication, um, employee connection, um, diversity, inclusion, and then of course, recruiting. So it's the whole gamut, the whole picture of uh, people who are here to help make sure that frontiers can get their jobs done without much friction. Yeah, a, a lot of people teams, not just in tech, um, you know, are now taking, uh, just to touch on what you're saying, taking a long overdue look at diversity, uh, looking at diversity and equity and hiring and, and compensation, whether it be male or female. Uh, so we would also like to hear about inclusion and belonging. Can you explain what that means uh, to Front? What it means at Front is that employees have an equitable experience, regardless of their background, where they come from, who their manager is, what location they're in, um, and their gender, their diverse, their uh, racial background, all of the things that make you uh, a human being, uh, that none of that is better or worse of an experience at front. We've implemented some hiring practices uh, to widen the funnel. Um, and to make sure that people with diverse backgrounds are getting uh, getting interviewed, getting uh, outbounded, um, and making sure that we're putting like real numbers and metrics behind uh, interviewing, period. Um, we've implemented things like uh, what you might know as the Rooney Rule from the NFL, where we make sure for all manager and leadership roles, we're bringing in at least two, we're having two on-sites at least, of Black or Latinx uh, candidates for all manager and leadership positions, um, which is which is a good start. Um, and then for all evergreen or uh, high volume roles like AEs, software engineers, BDRs, SDRs, any of the roles that like you're just constantly uh, hiring for, uh, we're doing uh, outbound top of funnel metrics to make sure again that we're uh, widening our pool. Um, and so we've actually seen uh, a, a large uptick in uh, hires coming on board from diverse backgrounds, which is amazing. But that's just the beginning. We've uh, started ERGs, so employee resource groups, which have been uh, taking flight. And I've been really excited about seeing that. So we have out front uh, for our LGBTQ community. Uh, there's Front Asia. Um, we have women in tech. Um, I think there's a uh, black at getting started. So making sure that there are support groups and and places where people can have honest conversations about their experience at work or in the world. Um, and now what I'm working on for the ERGs is to get some funding um, to put some money behind this so that those groups can really feel supported, put on events, um, get out into the front community and have a space for that and support for that. Um, and to really like, and put exec sponsors also on these so that they're really like, stood up um, and people have a place to go to connect and, and to be honest about what's going on in the world. In Q2 later in June, all of our managers and all of recruiting uh, and all of HR will go through um, growth mindset training. So most companies kind of focus on like unconscious bias. We're going to get to all of that. But what I started doing instead was looking specifically at where are our, in a, especially manager and leadership roles, people with diverse backgrounds falling out of the funnel. Why isn't it working? Why isn't it converting? Or what are the gaps? And going back, actually applying trainings um, and learning for people who are making good effort, but we're not seeing the conversion in some areas that we want. We're not going to get it right every time, but 
we better take accountability and know that and, and make sure people feel comfortable sharing their ideas and, and giving us feedback. I, I love that, Ash. Um, you know, to be fully transparent as as an African-American uh, male that just started here at Front, um, to be completely honest, I felt comfortable. Um, I've had people ask me, you know, how I'm doing with everything that's going on, uh, you know, because it's not easy. Um, you know, seeing something on TV early in the morning while you're drinking a cup of coffee and then, you know, turning the news off and you have to go to work and you have to get ready for a meeting. It must be difficult to hear something on the radio or, or see something, have something come in during the day. Like the past year, I feel like almost every day something is happening. Um, today, we have our, our San Jose employees are, are dealing with something horrific. Um, and so uh, whether it's your your race or your gender or or just where you live, there's always something going on. And I think that what's most important is that we recognize that that's going on and that like you're going to feel bad and it's going and that's OK. And like if you aren't at your best, like that makes sense. And we accept that. And um, and even myself, you know, like I've had some terrible days the last year and I, I come to the company and I tell my team, I'm like, I'm off today. With everything we know, with all the racial injustice um, currently, you know, still going on, um, what do you believe is the role uh, a company should play in racial justice and in mental health moving forward? I think it's um, to be understanding, caring at the individual level, which um, I think companies as they grow tend to move away from. Like you start to see employees as masses, we're scaling, it's all about scale. And like I, um, while we're small and while we're big, while we're at home or while we're returning to work or to the office, um, I think that our my job and the people team's job and the company's job is to make sure people feel like their needs are getting met, they, have, they can get their work done. And when things are going on, whether it's this transition, um, or more tragedies that will come, certainly, uh, that we are understanding, caring there in a real way um, and support every single employee and, and don't see the employees as masses. Like we have to take this carefully uh, and thoughtfully and know that everyone is experiencing something different and every day is going to be a little different and, uh, and lean into that versus try to uh, try to move to scale because it's easier. In regards to working happier, um, this is something I, I actually really uh, enjoy that front, you know, really is in the pursuit of working happier. And I, and I like that. I, I think that every employee, every company should be able to stand there and say that our employees do work happier. We can work happier. And this is something we're going to pursue. Um, but in the, in the context of working happier, you know, for uh, the black and Asian experience or, or maybe just, you know, aspirationally, what, what could it mean? What does that look like? While working happier is like totally the right goal. I think in part, it's, it's more about like working authentically and, and being able to be honest about who you are, what you're experiencing, know that your, your colleagues and your managers and leadership are there to support you. And, um, and, in hopes to build an experience where you can have some happy days at work. Um, 
But I think it's mostly about being able to really feel like you are part of a group that cares about you um, in a deep way. And it's not lip service. Um, so that's how I that's how I view that. Well, Ash, thank you. I appreciate what you're doing for myself and I could say for my culture as well. It's not easy for anyone to take the time they need for themselves, especially when you can't know when or how the next racial crisis is going to happen. Most companies aren't like Trump. Most places you have to come into work and it doesn't look like these issues are going to go away soon. So what do you do? How can you set yourself up for success? Well, I wanted to talk to some professionals in the areas of mental health and workplace well-being. I'm Jamie Alexis. I'm the founder and executive director of Empower Work. And Empower Work is a national nonprofit that provides free confidential support for folks going through challenging work situations. And we do that over text. I am America Paredes, and my pronouns are she and her. Um, I'm the vice president for partnerships and community outreach at Mental Health America. And Mental Health America is a national organization. We've been around since 1909. Um, but our primary focus is in really helping people to understand that mental health is a critical part of wellness. And for those individuals that struggle with mental health conditions, we want them to know that it's okay. There are resources out there that we can share with folks. Um, and we really want people to act before a point of crisis. So we do a lot in prevention and helping people understand we have to address any mental health conditions really before a point where you feel completely um, obliterated by all the emotions that come with living with a mental health condition. I want to talk about the connection between mental health and work. Um, with the past two years, I know those two have been colliding um, more so than ever. And just wanted to get your take on you know, how those things impact one another. Well, um, you know, there's that old saying that you bring yourself to work, right? Everything, you don't leave it at the door. I know there's some companies that believe that, but we at Mental Health America really believe that we as whole people walk into the workplace every day. And with that comes along everything that has to do with our emotions and our overall mental well-being. So everything, when you think about the day-to-day -day functioning of actually having a job and doing the tasks that are needed to complete your job, they are not only part of who you are, but they also end up like meshing with everything that you are, right? That doesn't mean that our jobs are our, our identities, right? But we are in this workplace for so many hours. We can't just forget that we are whole people and we have to be able to really address all of that um, effectively so that we can manage our day-to-day -day functioning in a way that is going to be very useful to the company and to ourselves when we go home. What we see and part of the reason we started Empower Work is that outside of work impacts how we show up at work. So there's a direct relationship. We're a person wherever we are, you know, and it's not like you can, you like leave that at the door when you're coming or going to work. You know, last year we had folks reaching out and I think this is actually a moment of a, sort of a bright spot in 2020 was that when there were conversations where companies were, were making public statements about Black Lives Matter and, and saying, hey, we really want to change and, and, and shift things, I think that was very positive for a lot of folks within workplaces. And simultaneously, there were companies that were saying things that, that weren't actually living up to that um, necessarily internally. And we actually had folks reach out from companies and from businesses who were saying, I really, I really want to show up for my colleagues. How do I do that? Um, as well as folks who were reaching out saying, hey, I don't feel like I'm getting supported. And I think the bright spot for, for me and for our team and for our volunteers was seeing that there was this real shift in 
people saying like, I want to see change happen in my workplace. And and we need more of that if we're going to continue to address mental health concerns and improve them going forward. But just curious, you know, what do you hear when you counsel people of color uh, about these intersectional issues? It's a, it's a great question. And, you know, we see about 78% of folks who use Empower Work identify as a woman, about 56% identify as a person of color. And so we see um, huge intersection in terms of both work and mental health, where, you know, there was a woman who reached out last year around the death of George Floyd, who had recently lost her job as a trucker in Georgia, and she was a mom of three. And she, you know, she said, I'm just exhausted. And she shared with a volunteer that, that she was a black woman. And she was like, this is just, I have reached my max. Like I'm just totally over overwhelmed. Um, and she was trying to figure out her job search. And it's like, well, how do you go into a job search when you're at this moment of really like mental health, exhaustion, stress, strain, um, really it kind of felt like she was at the end of a rope. And so I think it's really important, and we try to create space with this uh, with our volunteers to ensure that we really create the supportive space where it's like a text line is not going to solve you know mental health. <laughs> we talk about like this is systemic. This is there's deep trauma, and there are systemic challenges that are going on that we can't solve in a, you know just in a text line. We can't solve even necessarily through therapy. Like there have to be systemic changes. And at the same time, we can create space so that each individual feels like they're getting the support that they need. How do we make sure that everybody who has a conversation with us has additional resources or support um, because it is so pervasive and it's deep? And we have to make sure that there are layers of support, whether that's within the company, outside of the company, um, or in other parts of life. Yes, um, communities that are Black and Asian brown, um, and everything in between definitely have a different perspective coming into the workplace. Um, but the reality is that the focus can't be on them to figure this out on their own, because then the problem in itself is overlooked because the system as a whole has to be mindful and wary of the well-being of all of these people. When we work in really helping people think about how to really support individuals that may be impacted by racism, we have to be very mindful that their experience is unique. One Black person and one Latino person or one Asian person does not represent every single person of that race or ethnicity or group, right? So we have to be very cautious about what that looks like when we're really trying to do good and even though the term allyship is something that is thrown out there, that the, that's not always received well, because I don't necessarily want an ally. I want somebody that's just going to go and do the work. That you know, being an ally means you're going to stand next to me while I'm also doing the work. But if I'm tired of doing this work on a consistent basis, you know, and doing everything that I have to do to help educate others, then I don't need the ally. I just need you to go and do it. You know, so you have to really think about that, especially as corporations. The worst thing I think that can happen is that corporations go out and say they're going to do something and actually they don't really do anything at all. If you have to give a piece of advice to to management um, or to a corporation of actually putting in the work, how would that look? I think it would be really important to think about from the leadership level down 
um, about understanding what type of culture exists and what type of culture you want to have in place. One thing that happens once a year isn't enough. This is a day-to-day interaction and change that is required. And that only comes through a cultural shift, which can be led by leadership. Can you give the people listening some strategies or next steps uh, to take care of their mental health? Yeah, so I would say, um, and this is, I, I should have disclosed since people are listening, like you and I can see each other, we're on video, <laughs> but, um, but I am, I identify as a white woman. And so I'll, I'll share this in terms of resources, thinking about it both for folks who um, may be coming from, from my side of the equation, which is like, if you're showing up um, in your workplace as a white person and you have colleagues who identify as a person of color and an event is going on and you want to figure out how you support their mental health. Um, I think one of the things that I, that I really recommend is thoughtfully checking in with your colleague. Like, you know, your colleague, hopefully, you know, your colleague, you're not going to reach out to someone you don't know. You're going to reach out to someone you have a relationship with and ask like, Hey, how are you doing right now? Like, how are you doing today? And creating that, creating that space um, and really acknowledging, you know, Hey, you don't have to talk to me if, if, if you don't feel comfortable talking to me about, what's going on for you today, but I just want to let you know that I'm, that I'm here. Um, I think one of the things that can be really challenging um, for folks who identify as white when these events go on is, well, like, how do I show up? And there, there becomes this sense of like, am I going to say the wrong thing? Am I, how am I going to be supportive or not? And then there ends up being a deafening silence and that's like the worst. So, um, so just sharing that from, for those who are listening, who may be in that, in that uh, camp to really think about, um, being authentic, showing up in a way that they're listening. I think for those who are experiencing some form of trauma in an event that's going on, whether that's um, someone who's Asian American and, and and feeling like, how do I go in? How do I go into the office today? Because you know my my best friend just got harassed on the street, or you know it's just I just saw someone from my community um, you know assaulted in some way, or um, there's another death. Um, thinking about what do I need in this moment and, and being comfortable if you can, and not everybody does feel comfortable. And that's, that is very real. We see that a lot with empower work. What are the routes that are available to asking for help? Um, and that, that those may be within work, they may be outside of work. Um, but taking a step back and assessing sort of what do I have at my disposal, um, in order to get, to get support, because trying to, you know, as you were saying earlier, like manage through it is, likely only going to make things worse. Um, and so knowing that they're not alone, that they can reach out for help, I think is a, is, is a really important first piece. You don't have to do this on your own. Uh, finding support through a mental health therapist or, or somebody within that kind of vein, or even within, um, you know, communities of practice like drumming or meditation, things like that. All of that brings a sense of connectedness that is needed when we are struggling with everything that is negative and we are faced with all that on a consistent basis. Um, and if for folks that are really struggling, find the community that you feel safe in. Um, and that is different for each individual, right? It's not necessarily within your workplace. It can be outside of your workplace. It really is finding a community that you feel connected with and protected within, right? Um, so for me, that really has looked like finding resources outside of 
maybe traditional spaces. Um, and then within that same space, I think one of the things that is key is realizing that the emotions that you have are completely valid. Even if you are not able to truly put your emotions into words, because even when we think about the work that is done to educate children about talking about our feelings and everything, right? Adults are not very good at that at all, other than saying, we're happy, we're sad, I'm fine. But the deep, meaningful emotions are harder to uh, verbally acknowledge and then actually deal with, right? So there's a lot of guilt that comes with feeling certain ways. There's a lot of anger and resentment. Um, and you have to be able to process that in a safe space. And last question, um, in regards to working happier, um, at front, we take, we take this very seriously that, you know, every employee is given the opportunity to, you know, to work happier. Um, but with everything that's gone on from COVID to racial violence, um, you know, racial injustice, is it possible for us to work happier? Like what, what's your thoughts on, on working happier? Part of the reason I started Empower Work is because I do, I do believe that we can build healthy, equitable workplaces where people can thrive. And how we define thriving, you know, there are a lot of different definitions of that, happy, supported, empowered. Um, I would say as an impatient optimist that, that yes, it is possible. I also think it's really important to create space for hardship. And it's not reasonable to expect that everyone is going to be 100% all the time, that we're all human, and that there are going to be variations in in how we are coming to work, you know, from a life perspective, um, whether that's being extremely overwhelmed and sad and dealing with trauma, um, to like, just the challenge of like, hey, I'm having a, a, like, just a tough personal day, you know, there's, there's a lot of range that comes in with that. And so I think part of building a company, a culture, a workplace, where people can thrive, where people can work happier, is acknowledging that the baseline doesn't have to be everyone's happy all the time. <laughs> you know, then you end up with like, then you end up with a, I think a sort of like toxic positivity <laughs> piece um, that you have to create space for hardship and and space to really hear um, where someone's coming from when they're dealing with when they're dealing with something um, really hard. What rests for me in, in and really in that space is flexibility. Um, I know that in many ways that's a privilege, right? Being able to call out from work when you just can't deal with everything that has to do with work. Um, but flexibility in, for yourself and within your workplace, I think is key to helping you as an individual identify what works best within your frame of mind that day. Um, so part of that is maybe having additional sick days, right? Where I don't have to tell you why I'm out. I'm just out. I can't be here. And in addition to that is me being able to set better boundaries about what I actually want to discuss within a workplace. And all of that, I think, is key for me to having a happier kind of setting an emotional kind of well-being within work. America, thank you so much uh, for shining some light on this topic and giving us uh, some great insight. Thank you very much.
I appreciate it. If you um, or anybody needs mental health resources, you can always check out our resources at mhanational.org, um, including our free mental health screenings, which are available at mhascreening.org as well. We have links to all of the resources posted on front page. You'll also get links to charities and opportunities to take action or be an ally. You can find the episode page at front.com backslash blog.